Hello, welcome back to Honor of Kings. This is episode 18. Here we're still in the apocalypse of Abraham, testing it out. Um, this episode is a lot of fun simply because we're going to be looking at how Abraham, while having this experience here at Mount Sinai, is shown the Garden of Eden. Uh, he gets to see Adam and Eve, something unique about Adam and Eve in the garden, as well as um, the serpent that was there to tempt them. We're also going to get a look further on at the end of the video how this relates back to the actual Babylonian invasion of the, of the temple during the days of Jeremiah. Um, it's an amazing, it's amazing insight that Abraham received way back when. So we're excited to share this information and test it here on this episode of Honor of Kings. We thank you for joining us. Welcome back. We appreciate you joining us here on Honor of Kings again on Kingdom in Context. I'm Sean Griffin, accompanied by my co-host. Ken Heiderbrecht. Shalom, brothers and sisters. Thanks for joining us for episode 18. It's a special one for sure. And it's definitely going to have some content in it that um, may surprise you and may enlighten you in, in many ways. Because as many of you know, Abraham is a key patriarch. And he was shown some interesting things that we don't see within the canonized 66. So be an interesting discussion indeed yeah this one um you know as we we looked at last episode um the apocalypse of abraham we have you know abraham on mount sinai he's being shown some things the angels relate them you know the message from god and, and during this message um this angel Jael, he actually tells him that he sees two different groups remember and one of the groups on two different sides and um, he's trying to explain these two different groups with him. And I think we're going to get more explanation from those two groups in this vision he saw during the reign of Yeshua. And at one point, the father is even expressing how he had a lot with Azazel. Okay, so some of the people from Azazel basically were coming into to the father's group. And and Azazel himself you know, came forth from the father, as we already know and understand from the book of Enoch and other things. But Abraham himself is still questioning this idea and this understanding of how in the world could this be? Isn't he the bad guy? Isn't he the antagonist? Because Abraham was already being tempted by Azazel in earlier chapters, as we read in past episodes. So this is um, this is going to give us a little bit more explanation here. And he actually looks into the Garden of Eden, which is pretty wild. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a snapshot that I think we definitely need to understand more properly in its context, as we see in the book of Genesis. We don't get too much information regarding the scenario of of the garden and whatnot, but um, in books like this one and in Jubilees, we see a little bit more information given to us regarding some of the you know the environment and um, the specifics within the garden. And as we're going to come across, we're going to see the serpent and his actual name, which is interesting too, Sean. So let's just get into it, brother. Yeah, for sure. Do you want to read the first chapter? Absolutely. We're in chapter twenty-three, brothers and sisters. I'll start here with verse one. It says, look again at the picture. Who is the one who seduced Eve? And what is the fruit of the tree? And you will know what will be and how much will be for your seed in the last days. And what you cannot understand, I will make known to you because you have been pleasing before my face. And I will tell you what I have kept in my heart. And I looked at the picture and my eyes ran to the side of the Garden of Eden. And I saw there a man very great in height and terrible in breadth and comparable in aspect. 
entwined with a woman who was also equal to the man in aspect and size. And they were standing under a tree of Eden. And the fruit of the tree was like the appearance of a bunch of grapes of the vine. And behind the tree was standing something like a dragon in form, but having hands and feet like a man's. On his back, six wings, on the right, and six on the left. And he was holding the grapes of the tree and feeding them, two to the two. I saw entwined with each other. And I said, who are these two entwined with each other? Or who is this between them? And what is the fruit which they are eating, mighty one eternal? And he said, this is the world of men. This is Adam. And this is their thought on earth. This is Eve. And he who is between them is the impiety of their behavior unto perdition, Azazel himself. And I said, Eternal Mighty One, why then did you adjudge him such dominion that through his works he could ruin humankind on earth? And he said to me, Hear, Abraham, those who desire evil and all whom I have hated as they commit them, over them did I give him dominion, and he was to be loved of them. And I answered and said, Eternal Mighty One, why did it please you to bring it about that evil should be desired in the heart of man, because you were angered at what was chosen by you, him who does useless things in your light? What an interesting chapter, Sean. Yeah, man, we get um, we get a look into the garden. We get apparently this 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 serpent seemed to be a little bit unique according to this uh, this this book here, the Apocalypse of Abraham. So yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting because I think I've mentioned in many episodes past that I was going through the books of Adam and Eve, and in that book it mentioned that Satan actually used an actual serpent who had hands and feet as a mouthpiece as his mouthpiece to go and tempt Adam and Eve. But in this occurrence, it, it refers to the serpent as Azazel himself, you know, being this antagonistic character. So there seems to be a discrepancy there. So I'm not sure yeah. about the book of Adam and Eve with that regard, but nonetheless, we see here, we, we have this serpent and what his name is and how it corresponds exactly with what we see in, in Enoch. Right, Sean? That's right. Yeah. It's Azazel himself. Um, and that's where it just, you know, we, we already looked at Azazel as a character uh, being introduced in this book in previous episodes. And it's, you know, it's, just more evidence to this concept that the Satan character we see in the modern American canon of 66 is this none other than this Azazel character. And that's, um, and now we've got him in the garden trying to do some things. And as we talked about on a, on a, on a different broadcast that we do, we went over Satan's journey to destruction from start to finish over on our, our um, associate channel that we do another broadcast on called the road to rescue. And, you know, we looked at, all the different descriptions of where Satan came from, what he's doing and what is, what his indestruction will be. And some of that we did see in the book of Enoch that there are different titles for Satan, just like Jubilee has a different title for Satan. The, the, the prophets, you know, Matthew revelation, different places they give, they don't always give the name Azazel. They'll give a different title for Satan. Just like we have many people in the scriptures with different names. And sometimes they're referred to by their titles. So yeah, that's just, you know, just like our father, right, Sean? Yahweh, right. that's his name. He's also referred to as God, Father, yeah. Almighty, Almighty One, all those things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's got titles and he's got a specific name. So everybody does, technically. I've got Mr., you know what I mean? <laughs> um, 
So it's just depends on, I got father to my son. I've got, you know, uh, husband to my wife. So, but my name is Sean. So it's just the same concept here. Exactly. So Sean here in verse five, where it says, and I saw there a man very great in height and terrible in breadth and comparable in aspect. And then yeah. he sees a woman who is of equal size to the man. Um, it's just the way that Abraham describes this is it, it almost seems like it's startling to him. Right. Yeah. And, um, when I first read that, it, it triggered in my mind to go over to second Ezra's chapter four. Um, and I'm going to read just a few verses out of this interesting book, which I think will, you know, enlighten us as to why Abraham was so startled when he looked upon Adam and Eve and, and how they appeared to him. And, and it says, starting verse 45, and I said, this is Ezra, I said, how hast thou said to thy servant that thou wilt certainly give life at one time to thy creation? If therefore all creatures will live at one time and creation will sustain them, it might even be, even now be able to support all of them present at one time. And he said to me, this is God, ask a woman's womb and say to it, if you bear 10 children, why one after another? Request it, therefore, to produce 10 at one time. I said, of course it cannot, but only each in its own time. He said to me, even so have I given the womb of the earth to those who from time to time are sown in it. For as an infant does not bring forth, and a woman who has become old does not bring forth any longer, so have I organized the world which I created. Then I inquired and said, since thou hast now given me the opportunity, let me speak before thee. Is our mother, of whom thou hast told me, still young? Or is she now approaching old age? He replied to me, ask a woman who bears children, and she will tell you. Say to her, why are those whom you have borne recently not like those whom you bore before, but smaller in stature? And she herself will answer you, those born in the strength of youth are different from those born during the time of old age, when the womb is failing. Therefore, you also should consider that you and your contemporaries are smaller in stature than those who were before you, and those who come after you will be smaller than you as born of creation, which already is aging and passing the strength of youth. So brothers and sisters, the reason why I brought that up is just because Ezra essentially is told by the father that from the beginning, mankind was of larger stature, right? And as the earth grows old, essentially those who are born into the earth are getting smaller and smaller in stature. And so we see up to Ezra's day, um, you know, he's told that those after Ezra they're going to get smaller and smaller. So this, in my opinion, Sean, this completely debunks any type of evolutionary yeah. you know, stance, but it also just makes logical sense, right? We know that through our genetics, we're getting worse. We're getting smaller. We're getting weaker. We're coming more succumb to illnesses and diseases and all these things. So it just, in my opinion, I just thought it was interesting as to why Abraham was so like startled at the, you know, the, seeing adam and eve with his own eyes and being like oh my gosh these these guys are huge they were massive people it was just you're absolutely right ken you know in fact um i heard a, a biologist one time i can't remember if it was a lecture that i was listening to or something i read but they talked about how the human genetics are basically on a on a ticking countdown clock because of the different diseases that are happening the types of um you know basically how the cells are just at the at the microscopic level that they're basically over time, the genetics are straining with each new generation. And then at some point, it'll just get to a place. It's like a, it'll just run out. It won't, it won't get to a place where we devolve. It'll just get to a place where we won't be able to function anymore because I guess future generations would be born with organs that are instantly failing. 
So therefore the species just dies out. So it's not like a slow progression, like evolution would suggest that you change into something else. It's just a, it's just a, a downward slope into, into extinction basically. And that's, um, would be a wonderfully fitting reason why there's this idea that there's only so many years that we're going to be existing as mortal men and that we have to be made eternal by the father and given our incorruptible bodies or perish. Yeah, exactly. So, it, I think it's just, the book of Sirach. I think it's in that book where it talks about how men won't live past four score years. So 80 years, anywhere up to 80 years and a hundred, it says is considered amazing, like quite the feat for future generations to come. And so, I would have to agree with him in today's day and age on that. You know, most people don't make it past a hundred, right? That is, that, that's, that's quite the feat. Yeah. And is that Sirach, is that also the, the passage that it talks about? And if he does the latter end of his life is pain and, and suffering. Yes. And his memory goes and it's, yeah, it's, it describes our day and age for sure. So sir, for the viewer, in case you're not aware, um, the book of Sirach or Sirach um, also is called Ecclesiasticus. And you'll see that it's part of the Apocrypha where it's actually a book we'll probably we've we've referenced at times and we'll probably uh, test in the future as well. But it's more like um, kind of like the book of Ecclesiastic, Ecclesiastes, right? It's like little short Proverbs, um, but it's still a great book to look into. It's got some fun stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's but an yeah, here, book. it is. It's a good book. Here we have um, a unique scene here. We got him looking at bigger bigger ancestors right which is interesting because abraham is really not that far away in comparison to us today ken abraham's not that far away from adam and eve he's two thousand years removed from adam and eve whereas we are what six almost six thousand years removed yeah and abraham himself you know when i grew up in church i had this concept that father abraham was this old decrepit kind of like you know on his cane walking around old man but we know sean that in genesis didn't he take like 300 and was it 18 of his yeah. servants and go and do some serious damage to some kings with some larger armies to bring back Lot and and their family and <laughs> all that? So he was a mighty warrior. So Abraham himself being startled at the at the appearance of Adam and Eve is interesting because I, I now, based off of what I know of, of Abraham, he was a mighty warrior himself who got to live, I think it was 175 years old, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Um, now, yeah, Abraham lived to be 175. Yeah, that's right, 176 or 175. And um, I mean, he was still having babies at 126 with with his new wife Keturah. So right. he had six kids after Sarah died. Like that's he's still very fertile. Um, so I mean, if we're gonna equate that down to the modern lifespan, you know, it, it basically just it's been doubled essentially, you know, if, if a man of 80 years is living by strength. So he's basically having kids well into his fifties comparable to us. Right. And his kids. So it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. Definitely some strong genes. Now, um, actually the rest of this conversation continues to go from 23 to 24. And I'm going to read 24 real quick for us. Sure. All right, Apocalypse Abraham, chapter 24, verse 1, he says, He said to me thus, Close to the nations, for your sake and for the sake of those set apart after you, the people of your tribe, as you will see in the picture what is burdened on them. And I will explain to you what will be and everything that will be in the last days. Now look at everything in the picture. 
And I looked and saw there the creatures that had come into being before me. And I saw, as it were, Adam and Eve, who was with him, and with them the crafty adversary and Cain, who had been led by the adversary to break the law. And I saw the murdered Abel, and the perdition brought on him and given through the lawless one. And I saw their fornication, and those who desired it, and its defilement, and their zeal, and the fire of the corruption in the lower depths of the earth. And I saw their theft, and those who hasten after it, and the system of their retribution, the judgment of the greater court. I saw their naked men, forehead to forehead, their shame and their harm they wrought against their friends and their retribution. And I saw their desire, and in her hand was the hand of every kind of lawlessness, and her torment, and her dispersal, destined to destruction." Yeah, it's um, a lot of lawlessness happening in this um, chapter, Sean. Brought on, obviously, by none other than the adversary. Obviously, the adversary is, is you know, our English rendition of Hasatan, Satan, or Mastema, which also means animosity, as, as I just recently found out. Yeah. And, uh, he, you know, he goes around tricking those who desire to be loved by him right as the, the last chapter was talking about yeah and i love how in there it talks about um he led cain astray and and basically convinced cain to break the law you know so we here's just another quick implication here of what scripture already teaches and i believe it's psalm uh 160 and I, i'm going to go to it here in just a minute actually I, I said the wrong words here it's it's psalm 119 160 and it says the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting so we have this this modern american mindset can that that god's laws that we're seeing the apocalypse of abraham address here that that satan has convinced cain to break the, that law and murder abel um, but we have this American mindset that those laws are done away with after Yeshua lived, died, and resurrected and ascended into the right hand of the Father. And that somehow that changed the game, even though there's no scriptures that actually tell us that we're no longer to obey the law itself. Right. And I know a lot of people like to take Paul out of context because they think that's what he's saying, even though they kind of ignore all the other passages where Paul directly and clearly tells us to keep God's ordinances and God's commands. And that they're holy, just, righteous, good, and perfect. So they're just a little bit of misreading there from Paul. But throughout all the prophets, including Yeshua himself, he talked about how you know these these instructions for living, God's laws, these commands, they're never going away. They were obviously instituted at creation, because basically here's Adam and Eve being born, here's their sons being born, and the father told them, okay, well this is how you live, right? Don't kill your, don't kill those you're living with, right? That's kind of a it might seem like a no-brainer, but if you're just created and you need to know what to do, what not to do, you have to have instructions. Right. So this is exactly where why the law is eternal for all of creation. There's a perfect way to live, and that is what God calls law. Yeah, amen, brother. Amen. And unfortunately, we also see this um, misunderstanding that's taught in, in modern Christendom that the law of God was only given at Mount Sinai you know, 2,500 years into creation. That seems like, you know, if you're a God who's concerned about your creation from the first man you create and onward, you'd think, as you've said before, you know, it's the instruction manual for how a human is to operate in this earth system. You would think that Adam would at least be, you know, the first one that he would show him how to live, give him that instruction manual so that he can go about living how he's supposed to live. So, yes, um, 
there's just a, a an illogical way of looking at that, unfortunately. And when we see see this logical inconsistency through a different lens, aka like books like the Book of Jubilees, where we see that the Torah, the instructions are eternal, and that the angels themselves have been, you know, instructed to obey them since they were created as well. Yeah. Then it starts to paint a different picture, a more consistent picture that the father, he doesn't just randomly throw out instruction manuals and rules, you know, throughout the timeline. It's it's from day one and onward and forever. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, it just makes sense. Like the moment that you, that you, you know, create um, a computer, there is a way to use it. You know, you you go outside of the instructions on how to use it, and it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It'll break. You know, I'm not going to use my computer to mop the floor with, right? That's not what it's intended to do. That's not the instructions for the computer. So yeah, that's just it's just logical sense. But somewhere along the line, previous generations were convinced otherwise, which is just deception. Which is exactly what the what you know this Azazel character is doing to Cain, right? So Cain was given a clear instruction: don't kill people. And then he was convinced otherwise, right? And that's is sad. Also, at the end of this chapter in verse eight here, where it talks about, um, and I saw on, on their theft and those who hastened after it, the system of their retribution, judgment of the great court. I saw their naked men forehead to forehead, and their shame and their harm they wrought against their friends in retribution. Brother, what does this sound like to you? Well, honestly, man, when I first read this. Um the fornication aspect of it and then them putting you know naked men for it the forehead it sounds like homosexuality in my opinion um i don't know yeah. man what do you think yeah i mean that's what it's sticking out to me because we're reading from pseudopigrapha.com and they have two actual translations parallel side by side with each other so the secondary translation says i saw their naked men with their foreheads against each other and their disgrace and the passions which they had for each other and their retributions and i saw desire in her hand and had the head of every kind of lawlessness and so it just yeah it definitely sounds like this concept that um that we just we see throughout history right is this concept of homosexuality that's pervasive amongst the occult and it causes harm in society it causes among relationships um it causes literal legal harm right because now we've got all kinds of strange laws even in canada there don't you guys have a law that you can't even speak against homosexuals yes. otherwise it's a hate speech that's correct yep and that is definitely i mean I th how interesting is it here that it's talking about an actual system of retribution and a judgment of the great court i mean and now this may not be talking about our particular country's court systems i get that you know what i mean but i just think it's interesting that it's combining the two concepts together of all the two of all the two types of concepts you can put together but yet we see those two com concepts combined in our modern society where we see vast corruption and and this agenda of people trying to push homosexuality not just to be normalized but to be legally protected in a sense that you can't speak against it you got to accept it you got to let it in you got to let you know men go into girls bathrooms and and be okay with it you've got to let trans uh, transgendered people or just uh, what is it called um transvestites right just people that dress up they might even have a sex change operation they just dress up as women and they're coming in with story time for five-year-olds right yeah. and that is being protected and forced and encouraged so this is doing great harm in my opinion 
Yeah, um, big big time, Sean. And even just my wife, um, she has told me recently that herself being a clinical therapist and a Christian counselor, she can't even counsel people who have who may come to her who are confused, who have like gender confusion or whatever. She can't counsel them according to biblical standards. She yeah. has, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, man. It's well, Ken, do you want to uh, jump into 25 and we'll keep, we'll keep finishing this conversation then. Yes, with, absolutely. Uh, he's having with Jael, Abraham is. Okay, guys, we're in chapter 25 here, starting with verse one. It says, I saw there the likeness of the idol of jealousy, like a carpenter's figure, such as my father used to make. And its body was of glittering copper before it a man and he was worshiping it and there was an altar opposite it and boys being slaughtered on it in the face of the idol and i said to him what is this idol or what is the altar or who are those being sacrificed or who is the sacrificer or what is the handsome temple which i see the art and beauty of your glory that lies beneath your throne then he said here abraham this temple which you have seen the altar and the works of art this is my idea of the priesthood of the name of my glory, where every petition of man will enter and dwell. The ascent of kings and prophets and whatever sacrifice I decree to be made for me among my coming people, even of your tribe. And the body you saw is my anger, because the people who will come to me out of you will make me angry. And the man you saw slaughtering is he who angers me. And the sacrifice is a killing of those who are for me a testimony of the judgment of the completion at the beginning of creation. Sean, it seems like we're seeing, you know, the abominable acts that um, Father told Moses in Deuteronomy as well as in Jubilees about how the people would enter into the land and, you know, he would establish his tabernacle, his temple, and, and they would sacrifice their sons and daughters to idols and you know, profane his name and, and his sanctuary and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely how they're, they're using it for the wrong reasons, right? We see that in Ezekiel 44, nine, I believe where he's, I think it's verses seven through nine, where he's chastising priesthood for bringing in people that are not supposed to be priests into his temple. And, and I'm trying to remember the verse, but, um, I know they, they set up altars to Baal throughout Israel and Judah and the two kingdoms during the great apostasy and rebellion. But did they actually sacrifice a child inside Yahweh's temple? You know, honestly, I haven't, I haven't read anything that would indicate that they did that. Um, it's appears at least in this chapter that they've, they've done that because this is for sure. I mean, we see here in verse four that this temple is, his temple, yeah. his idea of the priesthood, right? It's where his, his name and his glory dwells. And um, and I think this is fascinating because if he's seen the actual temple that's built by Solomon later, um, I think I could be wrong, but I think that's the same temple that, that his grandson, Jacob, gets a quick glimpse of or information about in Jubilees chapter, I think it's 32 or 33, where he, he has the angels descend at Bethel and gives him these tablets from heaven that basically explain to him, future things. And then Jacob is trying to build the temple and the, right. and the father has to tell him, no, don't build the temple here. It's not, it's not time yet. And you're not going to be the one to build it. I need you to do other things. And so um, I just think that that's interesting that they would both get to see this future temple built by the established nation after the Exodus. Right. Interesting. But 
at the same time, um, there's definitely, as we're getting in this expl explanation to Abraham here, the temple's not being used for what it should be. That's right. I hope, I hope the viewer understands that. We're, we're, we're basically, he's being shown something that was beautiful. I was ill in sacrificing, which do not sacrifice your kids to, to demons, to idols. Now, what I think is interesting here at the very beginning, in verse one, you said you read it says, I saw the likeness of the idol of jealousy. And how interesting, because then he says, like a carpenter's figure, such as my father used to make. So you remember Abraham's father's Terah. Um, he was an idol maker for Nimrod. And what do we read in Isaiah 14? But but none other than what, you know, we have Nimrod's basically his uh, mission statement. Yeah, I will ascend. Yeah. And it is nothing my will Yeah. So if, if to me, it would be wonderfully fitting if it's basically a Baal image or, you know, something that's fashioned after Nimrod himself, because this is the man of sin, the man of lawlessness. But at the same time, his passion, his motivation is jealousy because he just wants to have the, he wants to have what was not given to him. You know what I mean? That's right. He wants to have Yeshua's throne. So I think that that's, that's just something, something. Yeah. Else. Yeah, for sure. Sean, I know um, in the same verse there um, where it says, and the body of this idol of jealousy was of glittering copper. Yeah. Um, I know this isn't technically what it's referring to, but in my mind, it, I jumped to like, you know, what do we see today? People with idols right in in their hands when they get awards and stuff at the at the grammys and the emmys whatever those award shows go on they have these massive statues of a man usually bronze glittering that's right and they're, they're coveting this thing right and this is what they dream of, of possessing in their home right and they put it up in their you know in their house and they right. <laughs> i don't know if they bow down to it or anything but they definitely um i would say they worship it in a way because that's what their life's goal is to achieve yeah, trying to get that award for their recognition, and and it's very fitting that that award is that you know. Yeah, it's because everything, most of the stuff that they're doing is propaganda for the enemy anyway. So it's just like they're getting rewarded by their master. That's right, man. you know. But um, it's crazy, man. Um, anything else in this chapter sticks out to you? No, other than. Yeah, I was also startled there when it when it was you know talking about how it referred to as this temple, this this priesthood, and that they were doing sacrifices in that temple there of children. So that's I'm gonna have to look more into that. That's interesting for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's during the you know the reign of the evil kings, and I, I could be wrong, but um, that's that's what it makes me think of is yeah. that they they were using the original temple to the greatest abomination which was just to actually sacrifice to Molech inside the temple of Yahweh. And um, in addition to all the other high places they had built to Baal and Molech and, and Asherah poles, and all that kind of stuff. So but Sean, I so. mean, it just, this just attests in my opinion to Yahweh's mercy and his, um, his long suffering. Like he's willing to wait it out, right? Like this is his people. Yes. They're performing abominable acts and lawlessness but what does he do instead of smiting them right away? He gives them opportunity to repent, to change, right? Sends prophets, repent, change, stop polluting the father's temple, his house. 
you know, get back doing lawful deeds. And it just proves to me, man, the more we, we dig into these scriptures, um, that the father has a consistent character of, of being compassionate and slow to anger. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. He's um, because he sees all this coming, obviously. He knows what's going to happen, but at the same time, like you said, he he chooses to be compassionate, slow to anger, and that's I'm thankful for that. Otherwise, we'd have more f- events like the flood, you know. And that's uh, and I'm thankful for that. But yeah, and of course, I have to remind myself: we look at this temple, and and, and even though it may have been beautiful, and and obviously when Solomon dedicated it, you know, the father uh, acknowledged that dedication, you know, and kind of said, "Yes, this is the house where I'll put my name." Um, you guys have done done these things well. Thank you. But at the same time, we get this explanation in Hebrews where it's, it just reminds us that all this stuff was just a copy and shadow of the true temple in heaven. Right. So therefore, no one has actually ascended into heaven and sacrificed, you know, and false gods or humanified the true temple above firm, which, you know, according to so parallels with Jasher, that was kind of the intent of the Tower of Babel, wasn't it? it? Was to break through the ferment. Was to get up there and actually worship their own gods up there. You know, at least that's what Jasher tells us. And I, I know that Jasher is um, a book that we're, we're we've said before in this program that you know we we know that Jasher teaches theological things that line up with the modern American canon of sixty six, um, but there's some details that we struggle to line up. So I think in the future, Ken, we're definitely going to have to jump into Jasher. I've had a lot of people ask me about it. You know, yeah, it's just uh, such a large, large book. It, it would take years to do. You know, it's but. bigger than Jubilees. It's bigger than Enoch. It's a huge book, and so we would definitely have to be very um, specific with what we looked into. Jasher, it's just it's hard to hard to cover it all and make this something that people want to actually watch. <laughs> so right. it's you know it's yeah. uh, it's it's just a challenge for us. But we will get to Jasher at some point and test it. Yeah. Uh, you may take up 26. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, chapter 26, guys. It said, I established you to be so. Call on the testimony to call on the testimonies of this one. And he said to me, Hear Abraham and understand what I will explain to you, and answer whatever I ask you. Why did your father Terah not obey your voice and abandon the demonic worship of idols until he perished and all his house with him? And I said, Eternal mighty one, surely because it did not please him to obey me, nor did I follow his works. And he said to me, Hear, Abraham. As the counsel of your father is in him, as your counsel is in you, so also the counsel of my will is ready. In days to come, you will not know them in advance, nor the future men. You will see with your own eyes that they are of your seed. Look at the picture. And I looked. This is chapter 27, folks. And I looked and I saw. And behold, the picture swayed. And from it, from its lift, excuse me, from its lift side. I think that's supposed to say left side. Left side, yeah. Yeah. From its left side, a crowd of heathens ran out and they captured the men, women, and children who were on its right side. And some of, and some they slaughtered and others they kept with them. Behold, I saw them running to them by way of four ascents, and they burned the temple with fire. They plundered the holy things that were in it. And I said, Eternal one, the people you receive from me are being robbed by the hordes of the heathens. They are killing some and holding others as aliens. And they burn the temple with fire and they are stealing and destroying the beautiful things. Which are in the etern- which are in it, eternal mighty one. If this is so, why now have you afflicted my heart, and why will it be so? And he said to me, Listen, Abraham, all that you have seen, 
will happen on account of your seed who will continually provoke me because of the body which you saw and the murder in what was depicted in the temple of jealousy and everything you saw will be so. And I said, eternal mighty one, let the evil works done in iniquity now pass by, but make commandments in them more than his just works for you can do this. And he said to me again, the time of justice will come upon them at first through the holiness of Kings. And I will judge them. I will judge with justice. Those whom I created earlier to rule from them in them. And from these same ones will come men who will have regard for them as I've announced to you. And you saw. Yeah, that definitely wraps us back over to second Baruch and that, that, that scenario of the, um, destruction of jerusalem in the temple right sean yeah we did a couple uh two episodes back i think it was episode what 15 or 16 um that title of that episode is called babylonian raiders and the lost ark where we talk about the actual babylonian invasion and we review uh the apocalypse of baruch as he as he's being shown that i think we're going through verses what chapter 6 through 10 was it at the time yeah um, yeah and that's detailed the the destruction of the temple and how now, we also, of course, see this in the canon as well. Um, but Baruch lays it out in great detail as an angel also is explaining to him what's going to happen right before it does as well. This Abraham is getting this way before Baruch was alive, which is fascinating. Very fascinating. And Sean, I, I like how in chapter 26, where Abraham is asking him, why did you establish it to be so? And then the father says, hear me and understand what I'll explain to you. And then he goes, and answer whatever I ask you. And then he asks him, why did your father Terra not obey your voice? So he's, <laughs> it just reminded me of Yeshua. Like when people asked Yeshua a question, he, he responded with his own question. Yeah. So like the father, like the son type thing. And um, it's just interesting what the, fa- what the father says to Abraham here, right? It's like, you know, Terra has his own free will. Why didn't he heed what you were saying, right? And Unfortunately, this this father of yours, he enjoyed iniquity over lawfulness and received his due punishment, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's just trying to say, you know, through the example of his father, like, you can't control people. I think that's what he's trying to say here. Let the evil works done in Nick now five, but make commandments and then more. Than his just works for you can do this it's almost like he's saying to them make them do what's right you know don't let this yeah. happen make them do what's right you can do it and then the father's telling him you know people have their own decisions to make them their own free will like you said yeah, so it's this is this is very interesting because doesn't uh baruch ha- also have kind of a conversation like this with the father in later yeah, chapters baruch and Ezra. Uh, um they both kind of go back and forth on on similar uh discussion matter but yeah. I mean, if you're in the presence of the one true God, it seems like a, a legit question to be asking, right? Yeah. And this is the question that a lot of atheists will ask. A lot of antagonists of the faith of, you know, the creator will ask, well, he can, he can stop evil. Why doesn't he, you know, yeah. how is he an all good God? If, if he lets evil persist and doesn't stop it, you know, and you're like, well, <laughs> People have, he created sentient beings that have their own counsel within them, their own free will. And they can do what they want. He lets them do it, but then he's the judge. He either rewards them for their behavior of righteousness or eventually punishes them for their behavior of wickedness and destruction. Yeah. So it's pretty wild. 
Yeah. And um, Sean in chapter 27 here, where we see this, you know, essentially this um, invasion of the Babylonians. Um, it's because of what was taking place in the, in the previous chapter in chapter 25, it appears to be because they kept sacrificing in his holy temple. Like they kept doing these abominable acts, right? Yeah. And what does, was it Baruch who says, yeah, I think it's the first chapter of second Baruch where it says that Judah was actually more lawless in her, in her actions than, than Israel was. Yeah. We also the see people. That yeah. The that. people were actually inciting the Kings to commit lawlessness. Whereas the house of Israel, the Kings were, were doing so on the people. Right. And so it appears that these people were totally all about, these sacrificing of their their sons and daughters in in these you know temples yeah and they were instructing the rulers to do it with them and for them to basically give them you know authoritative credence to do it basically but that we also see that in um jeremiah chapter 3 i think it's verse 11 and that's uh yeah that judah was far worse than israel you know of the two split kingdoms um but because of circumstances israel was was judged and scattered first and then judah was judged and taken into exile but um yeah it's just a lot of lot of bad stuff happening but as abraham is getting to see here now this is father abraham right had many sons and many sons had father abraham and this guy is gonna be the you know a bastion of faith and obedience to the father throughout his life and just like moses Abraham is getting a glimpse of rebellion in the promise that he's getting for these wonderful things to happen. He also gets it layered with all the disobedience that's going to happen as well. Just like Moses received in the Torah that we see all throughout from Exodus to Deuteronomy, the father reminds them, Oh, Hey, I want to do this for you and I'm going to do this for you, but your descendants will rebel. You know, we get that in the the very first chapter of Jubilees. It's mentioned that on Mount Sinai, the angels told Moses like, Oh, by the way, things are going to go well for a while, but then there's going to be great rebellion amongst your descendants. And they're going to forget this law that we're giving you today. I'm kind of paraphrasing, but um, yeah, that's in Jubilees chapter one. It's it's pretty wild. Yeah. And I like in verse 10 here where he says, and he said to me again, the time of justice will come upon them at first through the holiness of Kings. And I will judge with justice. Those whom I created earlier to rule from them in them. And from these same ones, will come men who will have regard for them. So, I mean, the father's always, you know, as you said earlier, like he's about justice, right? He is the epitome of justice, righteousness, lawfulness. And there's coming a day that all of this really, when it gets rendered, it will see it. I mean, there's no, there's no getting away from it. Everyone will see it. Even those who want to completely um, justify their lawless actions by saying well there's so much evil in the world i'm not going to believe in a god unfortunately well fortunately i would say for mankind everyone is going to see him everyone will see this and he's going to render justice as a point at his appointed time so it's coming it does and it it happens through his son who he sits on the throne of judgment glory was that john uh, jesus you know reminds us that in john chapter 5 that the father does not judge but all judgment was given to the son yeah and that's what we Earlier, like last episode, was being shown the reign of Yeshua, but 
then it kind of backtracks a little bit in this vision. And he's kind of seeing other things that lead up to the end of days, which is the middle of the story, if you will, being the establishment of his descendants as a nation, even to the point of them being building the, the temple. Um, and then, of course, rebelling from the commandments that Abraham was keeping himself. And so there's just uh, and there's more to it, which we're going to get to next week. We're going exactly. to we're going to explain that more. We're going to go over the remaining chapters. I think it's 28 through 32. And that'll finish out the book of, of the Apocalypse of Abraham. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot more really, really juicy stuff to dissect and go over in these last remaining chapters here that that I hope everyone comes back and joins us next week. Uh, for episode 19. Yeah, it's going to be a good episode for sure. And Sean, before we end off here, I just wanted to jump over to John chapter 8, verses 44 to 45, where it says, and she was talking to the Pharisees, he's saying, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. And so we see here that from the beginning, this is something that I often pondered, you know, he was a murderer from the beginning. I mean, we know that he hasn't literally himself physically harmed anybody, but he gets other people to do it through coercion and, and you know, doing it that way, right? But it just makes a lot of sense of what we see here um, in a chapter earlier where it talks about how he was the adversary that was kind of whispering in uh, Cain's ear, right? Ken, and, and the thing about this here is, you know, you remember when Yeshua explains that uh, he was trying to explain the spirit of the law, not, you know, when he's talking about murder, he says, look, even if you say rock to someone in your heart, you know, you're guilty of murder, right? Because if you, ha- if you have hold hatred within you, right, that's obviously against the law as well. Um, we're, it's in Leviticus 19, but we're not supposed to hold hatred in, in uh, anything against our brethren. So if if um, the angels were to be as if our brethren in the sense that they were to, you know, look after us, so to speak, but yet one of them decided to create harm for us, even if it's just through suggestion or manipulation of events, but not physically stabbing anybody or whatever, he still has he still has murder in his heart. You know, that's right. He wants to see our demise. He wants to see our destruction. So he's um, that to me, that's where that would fall, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. But okay, brother. Um, and he, I apologize to the viewer if, you, if you're if you hearing that I've been getting over a really <laughs> crazy cold. So my voice has been a little weird this week trying to trying to get back to normal. But I appreciate you joining us through this episode um, as we just kind of dig in to the Apocalypse of Abraham. We're going to finish out the Apocalypse of Abraham next week. And then I think, Ken, we're going to have, what, um, three or four more episodes after next week, and then we'll be done with season one. Yes, season one is coming to an end, um, sadly, but we're hoping to go to the drawing board and come to season two with some fresh ideas and and unique ways to present this extra biblical material to you, brothers and sisters. And um, yeah, so just pray for us that, you know, as Sean and I consider season two and what that looks like. just yeah ask the father to 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 give us kind of a direction as to where to go with it but um we thank you so much for you know watching these episodes up to this point and there are a few more but as shauna said it's coming to an end of the season and uh we just hope that it ultimately it blessed you and and has edified you and and has increased your faith in the father yeah we really appreciate you for joining us here 
uh, Honor Kings um, here in Kingdom of Context. And if you haven't already gone to Ken's channel, hanging on his words and subscribed, now's your time to do that. Because he has he's got some wonderful videos he's put up, and uh, I think they're they're done really well. The message is super strong and very palpable. So it's very easy for you to go through the video and before you know it you'll be you know 30 minutes in and not even realize it because it's just it's very engaging he's done a really good job with them and so go check out hanging on his words it's ken's channel and as you're seeing the play on the screen here this is this is what you can look for when you go onto his channel and then um other than that ken it's always been a pleasure man i hope next week when i see you that we're going to be able to i'll i'll sound a lot better <laughs> so just getting over some some crazy cold flu stuff around here and it's just annoying um, well, I know you've been a trooper though, brother. And, um, you know, we got to do God's work. So unfortunately we have to, you know, use our voices the best we can. And you've been a trooper brother. So I appreciate that you've hung in there. Yeah. I mean, I, this is my passion. I'll do this. Even if it comes down to sign language, I'll just, I'll learn. <laughs> sign language. Yeah. I'll just do it like that. So, so um, we thank you everybody for joining us and we hope to see you back here next week for episode 19 of honor of kings see you later